Well, it's a pleasure to be with you, and I mean that with all my heart. <laughs> I just love the body of Christ. Um, I was a very happy pagan until I was 19 years of age, and I went to the wrong meeting and ended up in the Christian Union meeting, and that was the beginning of the end of my pagan days. But even before I came to Christ, um, I got myself a New Testament, and what struck me in the New Testament was, wow, the church. Um, and uh, I guess, why, why, why did no one ever tell me about the church? Well, the answer was really because you couldn't find it anywhere, particularly at that time. Because at that time it was post-war Britain and the church was pretty dry and formal and um, God needed to do something. And I feel privileged to be living or live for the last uh, 50 years, 50 odd years as a Christian now. You're working out my age, I can tell. Don't do it. I'm 74 years of age, but there's still life left. Um, but um, for me, I, even before I met with Jesus, I had a passion to find this church. Where is it? Is it possible that such a church can be the same as it was in those early days in the 20th century or today is the 21st century? And so I've been deeply committed to that for the last 50-something years. So it's, it's a privilege to be with you, to be able to speak from the Scriptures. And I guess what I want to do, um, I want to do what the Apostle Paul did when he went to Ephesus. He met with a very small group of people. Um, it says there were 12 men, but they were a bit, bit chauvinistic in those days, so they left out the ladies and the children. Um, that was the culture. Um, but there was probably a, a church of about 50 people, and not much smaller than you are this morning. And he went to Ephesus, and he went there to persuade them and convince them that they could turn this great, um, immoral, pagan city upside down and make Jesus famous there. And so this morning, I really want to try and persuade you um, and convince you that actually God wants to do that throughout the world. And you've just been praying for your nation. Um, uh, we need all the resources of God if we're going to change the community and the world in which we live. But first of all, I want to give you a little bit of church history. I want to take you to a place called Topeka. Anybody know where it is? No, I know you do, so we'll come to you if no one else. Anybody know where Topeka is? Where? Just outside Kansas City. Yes, and the, it's, uh, the year is uh, 1901, and there's a guy there called Charles Parham. Charles Parham was, um, uh, he was, he was a preacher. He was a man who loved Jesus. Um, as a child, he was very sickly, and he was dying. He had godly parents, and on his deathbed, he prayed to God, if you, if you save me, and he was talking physically, if you save me, and you deal with this sickness in my life, I'll serve you for the rest of my life. And God raised him up, and he was wonderfully healed. And um, right from that time, he had a real sense of um, a belief in, in divine healing, which wasn't surprising, he'd been on the receiving end. Um, and then he went to theological college later on, and he went to one of those colleges that didn't honour the word much. And um, it, it, it was very, very disillusioned. And so he changed uh, to study medicine. Um, but again, he went very, very sick. And again, on his deathbed, he realised that he'd been disobedient to God. 
And he repented and said, God, again, if you just, if you heal me, I'll, I'll, I'll follow that first calling that you gave to me. And uh, God healed him. And he began to pastor. And he had a real passion for younger people, like these good-looking folks here in the front row. And, yeah, and good-looking folks. Well, some anyway. Not in, the, in, the, in the second row. Uh, we won't go right to the back. Um, but, um, it, and it, was, it wasn't the days of the Old West, but it wasn't far off. It was very, uh, very rustic. And um, he had a... He had, a, he had this, sort of this big house, where he, and he'd have about 40 students. Um, 20 girls, 20 guys, he'd have some houses at the back where they would stay. And basically what he would do, he would teach them basic stuff. Teach them, you know, the word of God. He, he, so there was a little emphasis on healing. And, but what he would do is often go on a trip and he'd leave them projects. And on one time, he left them this project, study the first five chapters of the Acts of the Apostles, and when I get back, I want, I want to know what you think. And he came back several days later, gathered them together, and he said, you know, what did, what did, what did you find? And they said, well, it seemed in the early church that there was an encounter with the Holy Spirit that changed them, that, that gave them authority and gave them power, and it seemed to be accompanied with speaking in tongues. I said, okay. And there was a young lady there called Agnes Osman. And she said, I want you to pray for me. I want you to lay your hands on me like they did in the New Testament. And Charles Parham in his record of this says that as he laid his hands on her, it was almost as though a visible presence came, came upon her. Uh, this was something sort of quite unusual. And as he laid his hands on her, she began to speak in Chinese. And she could not speak in another language for three days. And others said, you must pray for us. All 40 were prayed for. They all spoke known languages. That has not happened, at least not recorded, for a group as from the day of Pentecost. They believed, rightly or wrongly, that they were given those languages so they should go to, as missionaries to the nations, the language they began to speak. Now that went out from, that was in 1901. There was a guy there called W.J. Seymour, a black man. Because of the segregation laws that you had at that time in your country, he wasn't allowed to gather with them, but he wasn't going to miss out. So he cut out a cardboard box with eyes and a mouth, and he would sit in the meetings. And the anointing of God came on him. And he moved to Los Angeles, to Bonnie Bray Street, and started meetings there. Eventually, the front porch collapsed because so many people came and to receive the Lord and to receive being filled with the Holy Spirit. There was manifestations of all sorts of gifts of the Spirit. There was sometimes just total silence. And you knew, whatever, whatever way God came, God had come. And they needed a building, and they found there was an old burnt-out building in a place called Azusa Street, being a Methodist chapel. It was just used for storage. They cleaned it up a bit, and for years people came to Azusa Street. And from that revival, what we call the Pentecostal charismatic, or whatever you want to call it, went out from around the world. And I believe historically God made a statement in 1905. It was preceded with a revival in Wales in 1904. And from that time onwards, there was a, what we would call the beginnings of Pentecost, renewal, revival, refreshing, call it what you like. 
I, the fact that it's raining today, it hasn't rained for a long time, first the natural, then the spiritual. God wants to outpour his spirit on us. Why? So we can have nice charismatic meetings? No. So that the lost can get saved, so the naskins can be reached, and there can be a demonstration of what it really means to be one new man in Christ. That's your history. Didn't use mine. Could have used many great awakenings in England, but it's your history, and God wants to do it again in your nation. Now, if you're not convinced of that by the end of this meeting, then I feel for your nation. Because God needs men and women who are humble, who love him to bits, who are besotted with Jesus, but who are equally filled with the Holy Spirit and have a passion for the lost. And so that's why I'm here this morning. That's what my life has been about for the last 50-odd years since I got converted to Jesus Christ. So I want to read to you from Acts chapter 19, 22 verses. It's Paul's experience in... There's notes. Have you got notes? There's some notes. We're giving out some notes. Oh, oh, you're putting it on the screen. Well, if you give out the notes, then the people can write in the margin and what have, have you if they, if they want to. Um, okay. So I'm going to read this through. I'll probably punctuate it a bit as we go along. Okay, so here's Paul. I, I, this is really the pinnacle of his apostolic ministry. Paul, like every one of us, had to learn. And so you find by the time he comes to, to, uh, uh, to Ephesus, um, he's, he's an experienced um, apostolic ministry. So here we go. While Paul was in Corinth, well, sorry, while Apollos was in Corinth, Paul travelled through the interior regions and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? We have not heard, they replied, that there was a Holy Spirit. Well then, said Paul, into what were you baptised? Into John's baptism, they replied. John baptised with a baptism of repentance for the people, said Paul speaking about the one who was to come after him and saying that the person would be the one that people should believe in and that means Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptised in the name of the Lord Jesus. Paul laid his hands on them and the Holy Spirit came on them and they began to speak in tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all, in families. There's probably about 50 people. Paul went into the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But some of them were hard-hearted and wouldn't believe, and made wicked allegations about the way in front of everybody else. Paul left them, he took the disciples with him, and argued every day in the lecture hall of Tyrannius. And in some of the older manuscripts, there's a marginal note which says that was between 11am and 4pm. So that was five hours a day, and the reason why the lecture hall was empty and available for letting was simply because it was very hot. <laughs> and most people were sensible and they were, they were sleeping and uh, having a siesta and things like that then. But, but Paul and these Christians took that time out to study and to get themselves equipped. He did this for two years so that all the inhabitants of the Roman, Roman area of Asia, Jews and Greeks alike, heard the word of the Lord. 
God performed unusual works of power through Paul's hands. People used to take handkerchiefs or towels. Sweat rags is what we would say. It was the stuff that he put around his head and the sweat that came from that. They would take these handkerchiefs or towels that had touched his skin and put them on the sick and their diseases would leave them and evil spirits would depart. There were some travelling Jewish exorcists who tried to use the name of the Lord Jesus on people with evil spirits. I command you, they used to say, in the name of Jesus, the one who Paul proclaims. There were seven of them who used to do this. They were the sons of Sceva, a Jewish high priest. But on one occasion, the evil spirit answered them back. Wouldn't you have loved to have been there? Yes? It can be pretty scary when spirits speak. I know Jesus, it shouted. And I'm well acquainted with Paul, but who are you? In other words, who do you think you are to use the name of Jesus? The man who had the evil spirit pounced on them, and since he was much too strong for them, overpowered all of them, so they fled out of the house naked and battered. This became common knowledge amongst both Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus. Fear came on all of them, and the name of the Lord Jesus grew greatly in prestige. Many people who became believers came forward to make public confession, revealing what they'd been up to. Some of those who practiced were practicing magic, bought their books and burnt them in front of everyone. Someone calculated how much they were all worth and it came to about 50,000 pieces of silver. So the, so the word grew and was strong in accordance with the Lord's power. Lord Jesus, we're here for you this morning. We don't put a lot of trust in our own power or any authority we have. To be honest, we've learned enough, Lord, following you, that you are the source of all that's going to change this world. So we pray this morning, Holy Spirit, for the sake of the Lord's name and for the sake of this world that you've put us in, we ask you, will you come, not just speak to us, Lord, but change us, empower us, and envision us, we pray, Lord Jesus so that your name will be wonderfully glorified in this place. Amen. Ephesus was an important city. A lot of trade routes there, people came and went, very cosmopolitan. But it was the home of a deity called Artemis. And um, this um, Artemis, if you go to the British Museum, she's there. It's a piece of meteorite, and it looks like a multi-breasted woman, quite ugly. But they believed in their um, superstition that the deity had visited them, and around that grew a cult, and it was a powerful cult. Um, and if you, if you uh, visited at the temples in that cult, all sorts of, all sorts of uh, things happened, cultic prostitution, sort of stuff. We don't need to talk about, we can imagine, that it wasn't, it wasn't very wholesome. Um, and it wasn't just one amazing temple that was there. There were many, many, there were hundreds of temples. And the city was given over to the worship of this deity. And if you were, we were to read on a little bit further in Acts chapter 19, you'll see that what actually happened eventually, that the church grew and had such influence in the city that it just threatened this, the, the whole, not just the worship of the deity, but particularly uh, the silversmiths who were making a lot of money because they were making little um, images of her and selling them 
at a good price. And Paul obviously believed, under the direction of the Holy Spirit, that this was now a time to affect this city. If you go back to chapter 18, he'd been there once before. Timing is a strange thing in God. And being there, he'd preached in the synagogues. They were ready to listen to him, but he seemed to feel this is not the time. And he left Aquila and Priscilla there. They'd been, they'd been expelled from Rome. They were Jews and but converted to Jesus. They began to share. Then this guy, I wish we had more about Apollos. I wish we just knew more about some of these characters. He may well have written the book of Hebrews. We don't know. I think he possibly did. At least he, he had the knowledge and the calibre to do that. And then he adds his teaching there. And Luke tells us there were disciples there. Now, when you read this passage of Scripture and Paul says, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believe? You think, that's a strange thing to say to people. And their answer was even stranger. Well, we even, didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. So what were you baptised in? So there they are and we might think, hey, these people weren't truly born of God. But Luke never uses the term disciples unless there were those who were followers of Jesus. And I just want to put this to you. When you became a, a follower of Jesus, did you understand everything? Did you know all about the work of the Spirit? Did you know there was a Holy Spirit? Were, were, you, were you that clued up trinitarily? No, you knew you fell in love with Jesus, didn't you? At least that's what happened to me that Saturday night. I knew I'd had an encounter with Jesus and wow, my life's never going to be the same again. I remember going forward at a meeting and they gave you a copy of St John's Gospel. Why didn't they give me a whole Bible? I suppose they couldn't afford a whole Bible. You just got St. John's Gospel. And I was told, go away and uh, um, find a church and learn to pray. That was called discipleship then. So it wasn't surprising for some of us. It took a long time before we really got clued up. as to, hey, really what we've come into. And so it was a little bit like that, that Paul says to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? In this great metropolitan city that he knew Jesus was going to turn upside down, if he had the right people. So Paul was convinced of this. And that is why he asked them a question that he didn't need an answer for. If God is going to do the work that he wants to do in this city, he needs a spirit-filled people. Now, I think the Apostle Paul is one of the greatest men who's ever lived, particularly in, in terms of the Christian church anyway. He was a giant. Not an easy character to live with. He was pretty tough. You read through the stuff he went through. But he knew that of himself, he, he couldn't do it. And that ought to encourage us, because of ourselves, we cannot do what God wants us to do. We need, we need a resource that, is, that is, comes from outside to, to, to be within us. We need to be resourced. And the Apostle Paul was resourced himself to be an apostle, to go and preach this wonderful message, to plant churches. But he knew that without a spirit-filled people, he was not going to be able to achieve that because Jesus wanted there to be a body of Christian believers in Ephesus who each were empowered and gifted with the gifts that God would choose to give them. And as you read through the story, it's pretty obvious that that is what began to happen. In fact, some historians would go as far as to say that maybe a third of that city became Christians. That would be 80,000. I, I think that's stretching it a bit, to be honest. 
Um, but nevertheless, if you're going to impact a city and there's going to be riots because the Christians are turning this place upside down, there must have been a considerable number that turned to Christ in that city. And uh, I just want to talk a little bit more about the Holy Spirit. So I think, you know, we're going to perhaps be talking about this a little bit more this afternoon. But when we think of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, we tend to think in terms of meetings, and rightly so, the context of Corinthians is meetings, and Paul gives some teaching there, and we'll have a look a little bit at that this afternoon. But actually, the purpose of people being filled with the Spirit, anointed with the Spirit, baptised in the Spirit, I don't care what terminology we use, the purpose of it is that we are effective witnesses for Jesus. All right? You know, the, when Jesus gathered the disciples together for that last time, um, Matthew records that he said, you're to go into all the world and make disciples. But Luke tells us that you're to wait here until you receive the promise of the Father. Now, they understood much. They had three years of Jesus, 40, 40 days, five appearances, post-resurrection. Wow, you would think if anybody was ever equipped to go out and do this stuff, they were. Well, yes, they were in terms of their understanding, although there was still more to understand, but in terms of the power that Jesus had that was to come upon them, they needed yet to receive that. And when they received power, they then became the effective witnesses that we read about in, in, in what we call the New, the New Testament. But when Jesus gathered them, um, and we read, read about in Acts chapter, um, um, John chapter 14, 14, 15 and 16, all passages in the New Testament about the Holy Spirit, the one who's going to come alongside, going to strengthen you, it's going to fortify you, it's going to motivate you, going to stimulate you. Uh, we, we have a... Um, a Greek word, paraclete, which is difficult for us to translate because it means so things. But, but it means someone who's going to get behind you and stir you up and get the job done. That's what it really means. When Jesus spoke to them in chapter 14, recorded by John, he, he said to them something like this, guys, I'm going to leave you and another one's going to come. Now, I think if I'd been one of those disciples, I said, well, why are you leaving us? We, we, we like this. This is great. She said, no, I've got to go because the other one's going to come. The, the one the Father's going to send has got to come. Well, why? And Jesus would have said something like this, because I'm limited. We don't think of Jesus as limited, do we? If we're honest, he was limited. He was limited to one body. He had one body, and he could not be in two places at one time. And he, he said to them this, he said, if, if, if you believe in me, the works that you've seen me do, you're going to do. Wow. They'd already done some of that anyway. They'd been out several times. They'd, they'd, they'd preached the gospel. They'd healed the sick. They'd cast out demons. They'd already done some of that stuff. But they still couldn't see, well, why do you have to go? We can still do this stuff. He said, you don't understand. I want another body. I want a multi-membered body that fills the earth and does the works that I do. The nation of China has gone through an amazing, amazing revival since 1940, or late 40s. And there are well over now 100 million spirit-filled Christians in China. And when you read 
what is coming out of China, what's coming out of there, is exactly what Jesus said would happen. If I have a spirit-filled body, they will do the works that I've done. Even greater works, which must mean multiply, because there's nothing great from healing the sick, raising the dead. The greatest work is actually seeing people's lives totally changed and following Jesus. So how does this work? See, why, why, why do we need the Holy Spirit to fill us? Because when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we're sensitive to the promptings of God. There's a new sensitivity. And probably with us Western Christians, we don't need that because we have so many other resources. And that means we can achieve things, but we can't achieve what God fully and truly wants. And so he wants us to, be, to live, being, walking in the Spirit with him, is being sensitive to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. I was a happy pagan, got, got converted to Christ, um, started going to some meetings, and it was in the early 1960s, well, 65, Sue and I were married, and it was the beginning, really, of what would be called the charismatic movement in England, and there were some very exciting meetings going on. I went to some of them, I got a hunger. I, in fact, without a hunger, you're not, you're not going to get into this stuff. I had a hunger, I saw some things, and I heard testimonies, and uh, people speaking about promptings of the Spirit, being sensitive to the Spirit. I, thought, I want this. I want this. Now, I was, I was witnessing for Jesus. I was an athlete. I played a lot of tennis, played a lot of tournaments. Often, over a drink after a tennis match, I would share the Lord Jesus. But when I, when I heard what the more was, I thought, oh, I really want this. And I saw God. And one night, I had an amazing encounter, which lasted most of the night. And, um, and, and it, but, you know, I didn't fully understand why God gave me that encounter. I didn't understand all I'm sharing with you now. All I know is I saw something and got hungry and I wanted it. And the scripture says, you know, we need to hunger and thirst. The scripture says we ought to knock and seek. And I, I did that, asked a lot of questions. And, and, got, and I drove some people mad, crazy, because I was desperate for this more of God. And so I was filled with the Holy Spirit. It was a Friday night. Um, Sunday, I was in an Anglican church. Now, if you go to an Anglican church in England, especially in the 60s, very formal, very proper. You know, you did things at certain times. You sat down at certain times. You stood up at certain times. You even kneeled at other times. And when the minister, which we called the vicar, and he was a friend, his name was Humphrey, little round, tubby guy, when he preached, you didn't move. Now, you don't have that here, do you? See, you can get up, you can wander around, you can go and get yourself a cup of coffee while I'm preaching. No one's going no to mind, except there's no coffee. <laughs> and I'm sitting in this meeting. And inside of me, or in my head, or somewhere, somebody is communicating with me and saying... Get up and go and visit Mrs. Balcom now. Now, I need to tell you who Mrs. Balcom is. She lived next door to Sue and I, and we were in a street where um, there was a, a lot of old tenement houses, and we had a newish maisonette. That means um, we were upstairs. Um, um, I think you call them condominiums. It, it didn't matter anyway what you call them. And Mrs. Balcom frightened the life out of me. She, was, she looked like a witch. She smelt like a witch. She had one black tooth in her head, and she was alcoholic. And, and I, I, I couldn't cope with Mrs. Balcom, so I, I, I ignored her. 
Um, I, I was training to be a lawyer at that time, so I could at least do some of the legal work for her because her landlord wasn't very good and the house needed some. But Sue used to go in and spend some time with her. She was, Sue's better than me at things like that. And, uh, but I'm there sitting there and I'm thinking, I cannot get out of this chair, this pew. Humphrey will die. I mean, he would have looked. I mean, I would, you would have peed your pants rather than got up to go to the toilet <laughs> in, when he was preaching. Because, you know, but I did. I got up. It was only 200 yards walk to where we lived from the church building. I got in there. I was shaking. I was nervous. This is new to me. And her friend opened the door and she said, I said, I've come to see Mrs. Balcom. Friend said, she's in bed. She's not too well. Um, I said, well, come in. I said, Mrs. Balcom, there's Mr. Lowe from next door. Oh, welcome him in. Said, I sat down. I said, Mrs. Balcom, Jesus has told me I'm going to come and share with you. I want to talk to you about him. Oh, that's nice, dearie. Please come in. Sat down. And I very nervously shared the Lord Jesus with her. I don't know how long for, perhaps 20 minutes. And then I got out of there as long as, as fast as my little legs could carry me. And I thought, oh, what have I got involved with this filling with the Spirit? I thought this was to give me, you know, I was, begin, I was speaking in tongues by that time. This has got to do with speaking in tongues and having nice meetings and things like that. And I learned it had nothing to do with that, although that's part and parcel. It had to do with being an effective Spirit-filled witness for Jesus. And I thought, is this you, Ray Lowe? Do you ever think that? Oh, that can't be God. It must be me. Well, Sue went in to see her next morning just to see how things were, and she was dead in bed. She died that night. I learned a big lesson that night, and it was this. The reason God filled me with the Holy Spirit was to, was, was to bring me to a place where I, I would be sensitive to his promptings and I would respond to them. Hey, I get it wrong sometimes. In those early days, I got a lot of things wrong. It didn't matter. I wanted to be obedient. I wanted to be, so, so I wanted to be like Paul. Now, I'm not like Paul, but I wanted to be like Paul. I wanted to know timings. I wanted to know when God was speaking. I wanted to know what it was telling me. I could tell you probably hundreds of stories now. I've lived that way. And I'm not special, it's just that I believe this is when, when the scriptures speak of a spiritual life. Hey, hey, we're, we're, the, we're the only group of people who don't exist for themselves. We exist for the world. We're here for the world. Jesus so loved the world that he gave himself for the world. Now how's he going to reach them? Through his body, that's you and me. Paul understood that. And this is how it works. Now Coulter, well, I'll use you as an example because... You're a friend and I can get up your nose a bit and we won't fall out. So Coulter is at the, Coulter is at the, um, the golf club where he works. He's, he gets up at 4.30 in the morning and works very hard at the golf club. That's how he pays his way through college because his mum and dad are poor and they can't afford to put him through college. So he's there and he's, he's there and uh, you know, one, of his, one of his friends talks to him, hey Coulter, yesterday after you after you, you know, did your work, I, I thought I saw you, there was, did you go into a church building, was that an Adventist church you were going to? He said, no, actually, we, I, I'm going to, I go to River Edge. You go to that weird place? Why do you, why do you go to that weird place? Well, because actually there are a bunch of 
They're different to the Christians I've known before. They love Jesus passionately and they want to do the things that Jesus wants them to do. And then Colton looks at his friend and he says, he says, hey, you, you look a bit down. He says, yeah, well, my dad's dying of leukemia. Now, what happens at this moment is something happens in here to Coulter. Because Coulter knows that Jesus is the answer. Whether it's for his dad to heal him, whether it's for this guy to be comforted, whether it's for some, him and his dad to come to know the Lord Jesus, to know that there is an eternity waiting for them, that he's assured. He knows here. So deep down here, in his gut, that's what the... That's what the Jews call bowels of mercy. A movement takes place. And we don't need to enlarge on that. It's called compassion. And Jesus, it says, was moved with compassion. What happens? You meet someone and you know that Jesus, Jesus is the, he's, he's the only one that can sort this one out. Now what's got to happen is that's got to travel. I'm going to hold my stomach in here so it doesn't have to travel so far. It's got to travel from there. It's got to come out of here with something like, wow, I'm so sorry, John. John, um, can we have a coffee? I'd, you know, I'd really love to share my faith with you because I know the only person that can help in these situations is Jesus. Well, I don't believe in Jesus. Well, it doesn't matter what you believe, but give me a chance to share with you what I believe and out of those situations comes the gospel. The Holy Spirit gets to work. And it works on his obedience, those promptings. See, see, most of us live our lives, and during the day we often have thoughts about people, yes? Well, could it just be that it's the Holy Spirit? What's your name? The tall guy. Jacob, that's a good name. Jacob. Could it just be that Jacob is driving in his car and he thinks of a friend of his called uh, David? What, what, what do you do with that? Well, you've got, two, you've got two things to do with it. It's either stop your car and phone David and then see what that was all about. Not so many years ago, oh, probably 15 years ago now, I'm getting old, you see, um, I, I used to play soccer in my early 20s. I played through until I was 57, in fact. That's why I've had to have a, a new knee. That's why I'm hobbling a bit at the moment. But I used to play soccer with a guy called Ron. Uh, we became very good friends, our families. We went on holiday together. And then in the times when the charismatic thing began, he sort of drifted away. It was too much for him. I'm, I'm just minding my own business one morning, and I, I just get a prompting from God, ring, ring Ron Sweetman. I thought, I haven't spoken to Ron for 25 years. I don't even know his number. I don't know where he lives. So I, I, I'm, but I've learned enough to know, hey, I'm going to go with this one. So I look at the number and I, I phone up. and Yeah, it's Ron. I said, Ron, it's a voice from the past. It's Ray Lowe. He said, Ray, you're not going to believe this. Irene is dying at this moment. That's his wife. He said, I haven't prayed for 20 odd years. He said, I've just thrown my Gideon Bible across the... He said, I try to read my... He said, I've just thrown it across the room. He said, I just said, God, if you're there, send someone, help me. Then the phone rings and it's you. 
I don't know whether Irene was a Christian. They were churchgoers. But she was a Christian before she died that night. And so was Ron. You think, yeah, you might be thinking, well, what if you hadn't responded? I don't even think that way. Because God knows what he's doing. That's how God wants us to live. I pray with people who've got healed of sicknesses because of promptings. Hey, not many people get healed, but more ought to. That's the truth of it. So Paul wants some people in Ephesus who live like this. They're not particularly special. He's special. Sweat rags go, heal sick, demons and all that sort of stuff. Hey, we're probably not going to get involved in much of that. But Paul had a people that were growing, demonstrating life in the Spirit. And that is what God wants us to enjoy. Because it is fun. Scary sometimes, but it's fun. And Paul had that group of people. And with that group of people, doing the works that Jesus was doing, amongst other things, they turned that city upside down for him. But there was something else that they did, and this is important. You see, word and spirit and truth have got to go together. If I'm not founding what I'm saying this morning on the word of God, if you can't check this out in the word of God, then I'm in trouble. Because this is my authority. I have experience, but this is my authority, not my experience. This is my authority. So what Paul does, he goes to the synagogue and he begins to teach them. He gives them a fair crack of the whip. He gives them three mums. And there were those who were converted, but there were others who you know, really turned nasty because they didn't want anything to change. They got their ways and they got their law and they got their circumcision. And so he does something that we would regard as probably quite divisive today. He takes the disciples from the synagogue and he rents this Tyrannus place. And then he begins to teach them, and he teaches them the word. He must have poured his life into them. He must have, what we call the apostles' doctrine, everything that God had put in him, he pours into these people. And what's the outcome of that? The outcome is the whole region heard the word of God. Now what does that mean? It meant that people like Epaphras, who had come to, come to Ephesus from Colossae, came under Paul's gospel, saved, then trained, goes back and starts a work. That's, what, that's why the two mats came. That's why the two mats came in. That's why you've got a church here. Because the same thing. Someone trained them and sent them so they come here to this part of the northwest and a new church. God wants to multiply that a hundred thousand times around the world. But he's not going to do it unless we have spirit-filled Christians who love the Word of God, devote themselves to the Word of God, and are fully trained. Jesus said this, the disciple is not above his master, but when he has been fully trained, he will be like his master. Wow, Jesus said that. Does that mean I'm going to take on deity? No. <laughs> Although I'm a partaker like you of the divine nature. What it means is this, I'm going to become a mature Christian. What does that mean? It means two things. One, character. Going to grow to take the God-given responsibilities that are given to me, not just in the church, but in family and work and the other places, but equally discovering the gifts that God has given me. And as we're going to look at briefly this afternoon, every one of us, God 
as gifts for, but they're gifts of the Holy Spirit. We've been regenerated by the Holy Spirit. We're anointed by the Holy Spirit. We're being sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Equally, we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And later, when Paul left Ephesus, having seen this amazing church, two and a quarter years he was there. Only two and a, it says three, but they tend to sort of, you know, lump it up together. By the time he left there, not only was it an amazing church, there was a church that he could leave under the leadership of those elders there, even though he says to them, I know when I go, even from amongst your own numbers, there are going to be those that are going to lead, they're going to try and lead this church astray. Now, sadly, that's par for the course as well. That's the days in which weird people come into churches and they want to mess up what God is doing. He says, even though I, even though I know that's going to happen, also... Some wolves in sheep's clothing are going to come in. They're going to devour this flock if they can. But you know what? I am fully confident of you elders that you're going to handle it. They wouldn't take me on, says Paul. They'll take you on because they feel you're a sure bet. They haven't got a clue. Do you know why? Because you're spirit-filled and you're well-trained and you know the word of God. Wow, that's Christian maturity. And so you've got good teachers here. You've got the two match, you've got Tracy, you've got others. You've got good teachers here. You have every potential to be a church like the Ephesian church. And out of this church, there is the potential that other churches are planted around this city and perhaps even further as the two mats came from Oregon. Does that excite you? Oh, it excites me. I'll give my life for that. And I have done. Planted many churches, trained many people. And I'm not boasting in myself because that's, that's just... That's just the normative in God. The other thing we find here as well in this city, one of the people who are truly holy. Now holiness has two aspects. It has the one of character, but it has the other one of separateness, because it comes from this word to separate. Uh, when, I, when I got first saved, my vicar, who was a lovely man, the minister, but he was old school. And I used, to, I used to mix with some riffraff, particularly in sports-wise. And my friends, well, we were, I was, they were pagans like I was. So, you know, we, we sort of hung out together and didn't always do the best things we should have done. So he said to me, now that you're a Christian, you have nothing to do with them. I said, that's strange because Jesus was the friend of sinners. He said, you ain't Jesus, remember it. Okay, well, I didn't remember that. I didn't believe that. When Jesus talked about being separate and he spoke about how he separated himself for the redemptive work of mankind, he said this, Father, don't take them out of the world. He doesn't want us out of the world. Just keep them from the evil one. He wants us in the world. We've been separated to be in the world so that we are these effective witnesses filled with the Holy Spirit, being faithful to the promptings of God, and seeing this world changed. And that's what he had there. He had an effective people. Paul was a great apostle. He couldn't do the work on his own. But he had this new body that Jesus gave him to work with. And that's what, that's what Jesus wants today. And that's why when I heard about being filled with the Holy Spirit, I was grateful for what Jesus had done. I was grateful my sins were forgiven past, present and future, the whole lot was dealt with at the cross. I love that, don't you? 
I do, I love that. But when I saw there was more. Now what is the more? Well, the more is that there are times in church history when God decides to break through and says, I need to give more to my church. You can call it revival, you can call it awakening, you can call it refreshing, you can call it the blessing. You know, we had the Toronto blessing in 94. And sometimes it does come with a bit of weirdness. But when Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he didn't say, he didn't say don't use spiritual gifts because you've been abusing them. He brought correction so they could be used correctly. And God wants us to be balanced in these ways, We're, that we are men and women who are, who are spirit-filled, <laughs> we are solid in the word, and we're living lives that are pleasing to God. So Paul writes to this church, six years later, a round-robin letter, which we call the book of Ephesians, and he says this to them. He says, don't get drunk with wine, because that leads to some naughty things. Rather be filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul frustrates me at times because he doesn't tell you how to do that. So I work it out for myself. I know I've been filled with the Holy Spirit. So what do I do? This is what I do. Every morning when I get up, I love to spend time with the Lord. I wake up, even if I'm a bit grumpy in the morning, and my wife says I am occasionally, more than occasionally, I believe I've been filled with the Holy Spirit. I know I have. I don't trust my feelings. I trust what is truth. And then I begin to worship and thank God for that. And then I find the Holy Spirit kicks in and my grumpiness tends to disappear quickly and then I'm sort of praying and what have you. So that's the first thing I do. By, by faith, and we do everything by faith, don't we? I believe that what, what Jesus did when I was nine, 21 years of age, all those years ago, he's continued that process and I ask him again, Lord, just fill me, keep filling me with your Holy Spirit. The second thing I do is this. I don't believe you can lose your salvation. Now, people argue the, argue the case on this one. I believe grace is so good that we're saved for eternity. If, it, if we can lose it, then grace isn't as good as the Bible makes it out to be. And I, I, I tend to believe the Bible. But... but this is what I do believe. I believe we can be neutralised. So this is how it works. For me, I want to I be in a place where I can serve effectively. I want to I be able to be sensitive to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. And guess what? With a bad conscience, I'm not very good. Now, some people might be able to be, but I'm not. I can't function with a bad conscience. I can't move in the gifts of the Spirit. I can't be sensitive to the promptings of the Spirit because my mind is thinking about what I shouldn't have done when I did it. Are you with me on that one? So I make sure that I build into my life safeguards in order that I'm going to keep my walk with, with God. Pretty, pretty straight. For instance, and at this moment I'll tell you that I'm like David. I'm a weak and needy man, okay? So I'm not Raylo, a great man of God or anything like that. I'm just an ordinary guy, loves Jesus, know that I have a calling on my life. But I know equally, like David says so many times in the Psalms, that right at the end, he says, Lord, have mercy on me because I am a weak and needy man. So David was a man of flesh. Now, you know that. You've only got to read some of the stuff that he got up to. He was pretty fleshy. And so I'm, I'm, uh, I'm in Missoula, Montana, 
10 years ago, is a friend of mine there, um, Steve Valentine, sadly died. So I was there for a week at his funeral, and then I was going down to Spain uh, with a group of churches I've been working for, working, sorry, Mexico, um, with a group of churches I've been working at that time for about 20 years with. And I knew I wanted to go in the power of the Spirit. They put me in this lovely hotel, the Hilton there. Very, very nice. So I'm there for a week. Um, one of the girls works there, so they got a good rate. And um, so I was enjoying it. But on the, I noticed on the televisions there that uh, everything was available, including ad, what's called adult movies. Now, I can see some of you guys know exactly what I'm talking about. But, so I'm not going to use any words of knowledge at this moment because I don't want to embarrass anybody. But you know what that means? There's going to be pornography. Now, I've got to be honest. Good-looking women without their clothes on quite appeal to me. That's my flesh. But I know they're not for me. So I've got all this stuff there on television. And it's free. They're not going to put on your billy. You've been watching naughty movies. No one's going to know except me and God, but I know, I don't want to do that. I don't want to sin against God. And I want to go to Spain, in the, sorry, Mexico, in the power of the Spirit. So what I do is I phone Sue. In fact, I phone her every night. I say, darling, I'm going to be watching this movie, Dances with Wolves or whatever, or The Last of the Mohicans, you know, sort of nice, good, clean stuff. And um, violent stuff, that's all right with you yanks, it's Good stuff. And um, so I phone her every night. Then I phone her at the end and tell her what I've actually watched. Because I don't like being in a hotel room. It's a lonely place. And I tell you what, we do have an enemy. And he does. What does he want to do? He wants, wants to divide us. He wants to divide us from you know, what we're doing and from the Lord. And he works hard at doing it. And I picked up a bill for $500 at the end of that week. And that was 10 years ago. I was just sharing this with some of my friends back home. They said, Ray Lowe, you're mad. $500. I said, no, I'm smart. I got faith for money. I don't have faith for functioning in the spirit without a good conscience. Now, guys, I'm going to be very straight with you. Somebody else can be straight with the ladies. It's all out there today. It's the biggest weapon the enemy is using. It's affordable. It's available. It's attainable. And when you, get, when you start putting your feet into some of the mucky stuff that's in this world, you cannot possibly function as a spirit-filled Christian. You exist, but you're like a soldier that we your weapon's been taken away from you. You've got nothing to fight. So what, is, what am I saying is this. Three things God wants from you as the church. He wants a spirit-filled church. He wants a church that is well-founded on the Scriptures, where it's your final authority. And he wants a bunch of people whose lives are exemplary. So when the world looks on, yes, it looks at the, at the power that God has given us. Yes, it looks at our knowledge of the Word. But it sees lives that back what Jesus said he would do and has done. Now, that's, that's, what, that's what he wants. And this is what Paul went to Ephesus to achieve, and he achieved it. So out from Ephesus, all those that he trained up, right through that province, Roman province of Asia Minor, all those churches that you read about, 
in the, in the book of Revelation were all planted out from there. Who planted them? It wasn't Paul. Never left the place during that time. It was those he trained, he sent out, like the two mats, it sent out, and it says the whole region heard the word of God. Lord, can you do it again? The answer is yes. That's what he wants to do again. That is what is happening in other nations. Folks, because we are, because we are first world nations, we are, because we are sophisticated, because we are wealthy, because we have everything going for us, we certainly in England, and I think it's true in America, we, 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 we seem to think that if it's not happening here, it's not happening anywhere. It is happening around the world. What is happening in the Islamic world at the moment, Jesus is just turning up in places. And uh, they're having dreams, they're having visions, I mean, there are appearances. It's amazing things happening around the world. Why? Because they are, they are understanding this. They don't have our Bible knowledge, they don't have all the facilities that we have, which we value, and I'm not saying they're wrong, but what they do have is they understand these principles of being spirit-filled, of, of, of the Word of God being, if it's in the Bible, we do it. Sometimes they're a bit naive. We do it. And of knowing their lives are to be dedicated totally to him, of how they live. That's the gospel. I preached you the gospel this morning. This is the gospel. This is, this, is, this is what saves us and keeps saving us until eventually we are in his presence saved. And so who's up for that? I read a psalm this morning that said something like this. When I'm old and grey, please do not desert me. But, and then it goes on to say, let me pass on what I've learned to the next generation. I've been a Christian for one, I don't know, 50, 55 years now. I was 19, 55 years. Do you know what? I wish someone had told me this stuff right at the beginning. I wish someone had told me this stuff right at the beginning. I would have jumped right in at the beginning. You are living at a privileged time when God is pouring out his spirit right across the world. It's not a time, it's not a time to um, prevaricate. It's a time to jump in. So if you're with me, just stand up, will you please? If you're not standing up, I, we're not going to judge anybody. But if you're with me this morning, I just want us to pray. We're going to break bread in a minute. For me, as I'm going to share this afternoon, I know some of you won't be here this afternoon, and for Sue... There's no formulas on this stuff. It's your relationship with Jesus. Um, when I encourage people to seek to be filled with the Holy Spirit and continue to be filled with the Holy Spirit, in worship is a great place to do it because it's in worship you get, as the hymn writer said, you get lost in wonder, love and praise. It's great to sing those love songs to the Lord Jesus. Your own devotional times, they are times to bring to God and to speak to him honestly and openly and say, Lord, I want to be filled and filled again. Keep filling me till I'm overflowing. Me. Give me divine appointments today. I'm available to you, whatever your language is, to the Lord. Is, and you'll be amazed what he will do. Um, but Jesus talked about 
How much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? We've got to keep asking. You might say, Ray Lowe, you're an extrovert. It's easy for you. There's a lot of introverts out there that need saving and they'll run a mile from people like me. So we need, we need all to be full of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't matter what background you come from. What matters is what's in the Word of God and what's attainable for us today. Do you believe Jesus is the same yesterday, today and forever? Then why should the church be different? So I want us to pray. I want us to raise our hands, if you raise your hands. I want us to just reach out. And if this morning I have persuaded you in any way, convinced you, may have questions, you may not agree with everything, you can take me up on that later if you want to. I want you to reach out. And I want you to I just want you to say to the Lord Jesus, I'm yours, Lord Jesus. I'm yours. And I want, you, I, I want to be used by you more and more and more. I want to thank you for the way you've used me up to now, but I want more, Lord. And I know that there is more. And I ask you, Lord Jesus, I want to engage more with your spirit. Will you teach me how? When I worship you, Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, I want to receive more and more of your spirit. I want you to fill me with your spirit. I want you to give me spiritual gifts. Any gift that you want to give me, Lord, whether it's for my own edification like tongues or whether other gifts like encouragement or prophecy or healing, which is for the edification of others in the body, I want you to, I want you to give me those as well, Lord. But Lord Jesus, I want you to, I want you to take me back into the world and I want to be effective there. So Lord Jesus, will you please fill me with your Holy Spirit? I want you to just to reach out to the Lord now. Just, just reach out. Just say, Lord, fill me with your Spirit, Lord. Can we sing a, can we sing a worship song? Can you lead us in something? As, just as we worship, it's a great place just to come and open your heart to the Lord Jesus in worship. We just, Jesus just told those disciples, wait until you engage with the Holy Spirit. Hey, we're all born again here. We, we have the Spirit of God indwelling us, living, living in us. He's sanctifying us. He's justified us. But we want more. So we ask you now, Lord Jesus, as we sing this song, just lift, lift your hands to the Lord, whatever you do, and just receive. Receive by faith. It's the air that we are to breathe. Walking in the Spirit. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.